so beautiful. They do such a good job. Look at that. Your pastor is learning and growing as a human being. How good is that? We're working in our uh, school to become an Apple certified school. And there's only one other of those in Orange County. Uh, Modern day high school is an Apple certified school. And we're working on that. And one of the things that I'm challenged to do is be a better techno guy. And uh, thank you to Hector and the guys up front for getting me squared away. And even at 8 o'clock it went well. It was super good. But I've got to work on this. And it's, it's good for me to, to figure that's good to grow as a person, right? Otherwise I'd be a stagnant dad. And I don't want to be, be that kind of dad. Let's begin with the word of prayer and, and get ripping. Heavenly Father, it's so good to be gathered together today here in the community of, of the Father. Your love pursues, your love gathers, your love forgives, your love enfolds, your love draws close. There's no father like you. And so we don't claim that. Those of us who are dads, there's not a one of us that claims to be perfect today. But we do know and believe all of us together as children of God that your love is lavished upon us. So open the eyes of our hearts in this time together in your word. Bless us to see what you would have us see, to hear what you would have us hear. Always holding in our soul and impressed upon us the great, great love of our brother, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Last night I did a wedding and it was super fun. It was a great wedding. Uh, the couple, uh, the, the gal on the left, her name is Jackie, and she teaches at our middle school. She's fantastic. Turns out her uh, father and her aunt are uh, people I went to Orange Lutheran with years ago. There's nothing like having people tackling you and saying, I remember when we went to school together. You're like, what do you remember about us going to school together? You know, Just a beautiful wedding down in Costa Mesa at the Turnip Rose. Um, her husband, Steve Barillier, is a counselor at Orange Lutheran. She had the Orange Lutheran contingent, the St. John's contingent, the Christ Costa Mesa contingent, and the Christ Bray contingent, and, and then all these young people. It was just great. It was loud and crazy and fantastic. And, and I meet with the couples beforehand. We got to spend some time together, and, and they said, wow, you know how young couples are? Oh, we hope our wedding will be okay. Your wedding's going to be great. It's going to be okay. It's going to be fantastic. Well, how do you know, Pastor? How do you know? Because look at how much they love one another. That's how you know. And then the parents, the parents love and care for each other. And there's this marvelous connection. And that's what makes a, good, a wedding a good wedding. It's not the pastor. The pastor can only mess it up. He's, you, know, you say something stupid. And people, I mean, they'll forget everything you say unless you say it at a wedding or at a funeral. And then they'll be... I remember 20 years when you did our wedding and you said that one dumb thing and you're like, ah. But it was beautiful. It was two families coming together. It was people who deeply loved one another. It, it, was, it was just great. And, and it was a reflection of the very best of family. Two dads got up and spoke about their children and their new daughter and son-in-law. They, they had a marvelous effervescence in their heart, in their spirit. They hosted this beautiful reception, this beautiful wedding. And then Stephen and Jackie, they looked at one another. And man, it was just otherworldly. And, and those are the best days of a family. When, when I first was younger, I would go back not to, I would go back to my wedding day where Barbara and I were married, I would go back to that day and I'd think that was the best wedding in the history of the world, right? 
and I kind of uh, set alongside for analysis my wedding that day and how it felt and what it went through kind of with everybody else and, and every other wedding I did. And, and now I don't do that anymore. Now I think about the wedding uh, that I stood in front with my son and daughter-in-law and cried like a big baby and couldn't get my words out. <gasps> Will you, Justin, take Jesse to be... <laughs> what a wimp, right? But now, now when I do a wedding, I think of, of that wedding. It's just a different stage of life, a different season, right? I'm older, more established, more of a wimp. I cry easier, but yet I'm tougher. It's kind of weird getting older and... And that's kind of how it is with families and fathers. You just continue to grow and you grow into the different seasons and stages of life. Your hair grows from thick and lustrous to gray and sparse. And there's beauty and wonder and joy in all of those things. And anyone who either is a dad or a grandpa or knows a dad or grandpa because that's where you came from, you know exactly what I'm saying. Family at its best last night for the Barilliers and the Andersons. Unreal wedding. Families and fathers. So I want to share with you a little bit about my bias about family and fathers. And that is that I was raised in a loving home. And part of the reason I was raised in a loving home, that's my father in the left next to me. I took this picture. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Uh, probably 1982 or 83. I was raised in a loving home. We were hugged and affirmed and encouraged. And it's part of what makes me and my brother and sister both strong and weak at the same time, is that we were raised with a, a strength of character and what was right impressed upon us by our parents. And yet we were encouraged to think and be and, 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 and ask questions and, and were loved tenderly by our, by our parents. And so I come with that bias. I, I was over my brother's over being okay for vacation Bible school in the auditorium. He's got his two boys, uh, Nathan and, and Joel, with them today. And, and it's just, we are clones of our dad in that regard. Now, my dad was raised in a family that wasn't so great. And I understand that when I begin to talk about faith and families, that there are families that you sit and say, oh, crud. I told my wife we shouldn't have come for Father's Day because Klinkenberg's going to talk about families and life and, and my family wasn't that great. My family wasn't ideal. And, and I'm going to go right back to where I grew up in blah, 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 and it's going to be painful. Right. Because families and fathers, there's some of that. I did not grow up in a home that was chaotically bad or painful. But my dad did. My dad was the last of six children, actually seven. They lost one in childbirth. My father's parents were in their mid-40s when they were born. And uh, so he was an oops baby on a cold night in northern Wisconsin. And they weren't kind of like in Madison and Milwaukee in that part of Wisconsin. They were in the desolate part of Wisconsin, way north. Deer and mountain lions or whatever they have up there, Bigfoot is more prevalent than people and common sense. My dad grew up in a home that was loud and physical. Matter of fact, when we were kids, we did not like to see my father's parents, Grandma and Grandpa Klinkenberg, because they were scary. Now, my Grandma Klinkenberg was a beautiful, beautiful lady, soft and kind and loving. And now as I grow older, I understand as codependent as the day is long toward my grandfather Klinkenberg's alcoholism.
and physical and emotional abuse. That's the kind of home my dad grew up in. And so when my dad got to be 18, he moved away. He went to Valparaiso University to play football. He blew out his knees, put himself through college being a prison guard in an Indiana State Penitentiary, and, uh, and then went into the military, and then became a pastor. But when you talk about those broken pieces of family, I'm one generation, one, one iteration of life removed from that. And I remember how painful some of that was for my dad. And my dad swore that when he grew up that he would not raise his children, my brother and sister and, and me, like he was raised. And so he raised us with great love and great affection. We went camping and we remember those things. We were disciplined and we remember those things. We learned to throw the football and the baseball and stuff from my dad because his father, even though my father was an all-state football player who had a full-ride scholarship to Valparaiso, my grandfather, Klinkenberg, not once, not one time in four years saw my father play football, not one time. So my dad was at every game and every event unless there was some sort of crazy thing that went on, at which point he typically then said, I'm sorry, but I can't be there for you that day, but I want you to know that I, that I love you. The day before my dad died, he took me out into the uh, foyer of uh, Long Beach Memorial Hospital, his body just filled with cancer. And my dad sat me down, he in a wheelchair, just emaciated from the stomach cancer and me looking about like that. And he said, Tim, I want you to know two things. He said, I want you to know that I love you. And I want you to know that no matter what you do, I'll be proud of you. And that's the greatest blessing that my dad or any dad could give to his children. The unconditional love of the father. It's about 34 years since my dad died. My dad died in 1985 from stomach cancer. And this is my college graduation, and that is my diploma tucked under my right arm. And yes, I did graduate from college, and C's equal degrees, so I made it through. And that's my sister on the left, my mom, myself, and my brother. And this was probably the first big celebration of family uh, outside of maybe my sister's graduation from high school, this is my graduation from college. And my dad is noticeably missing, except that me and my brother are the spitting images of our dad. And both of us, along with my sister, look at family through the lens of where we grew up. And we don't speak uh, at this bitter sad grief still, although we tear up when we talk about our dad and our family. But when we come to Father's Day, we text one another in gratitude that we were raised in great love and that my dad changed the course of family for my sister, my mom, myself, and my brother. And so sometimes we see God through the lens of family and father. 
There's some of us who were raised in really warm families, and we, and we look at that warm family and we say, this is great. This has got to be what the love of, of God the Father is like. And others look at it, and we look and say, man, if this is the love of God the Father, then this is ridiculous. This is horrid. I don't want anything to do with it. But each one of us bring our biases to that and to this day. And, and one of the things that's hard about preaching on this day, especially when I go in this direction, because the easy thing to do is to pick up Holy Trinity Sunday and just say, you know, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit ain't this great, it's easy. But I think that does a disservice to you. Because each one of us sees life through the lens of family and father. I was privileged to see an advanced copy of the new member directory this week. They do exist, they are here. It was easier to do the renovation of this building than it was to get a pictorial directory. I mean, it's just unreal. <laughs> and my dear Tuesday morning Bible study guys give me such a bad time about it. Finally, Tuesday, I was able to unload them, and I had their names and pictures, and I'm like, oh, man, that's great. This is good. Pictorial directories there. I'm like, yeah, right, 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 take them. But families and fathers are represented in that pictorial directory each one with their own unique story, each one with their own unique bias, each one with their own unique look and shape and feel and understanding and point of view, each one with their own lens through which they see faith and fathers. And sometimes, like the wedding last night, it's the best things in the world. You look and you see pictures of your family from long ago and you go, this is the greatest thing in the history of the world. My parents love me. They weren't easy on me. They weren't, you know, didn't give me and lavish on me all the stuff I thought I wanted. But now I look back at my life and my parents love me deeply and dearly. And my dad regarded me with unconditional love. My dad never said I'd love you more if, I'd love you more when, but your dad just enfolded you in love and said, I'm proud of you and I love you. And, and look at, look at your life imprints of your dad on your soul today, the imprints of your family guiding you in the most marvelous, blessed times of life. You see your heavenly father perhaps through that lens, through the good stuff, the mile markers, the blessings, through the pictures that make you smile and laugh and help you lean into those you love and that you were raised with. And then I'm reminded of sometimes the painful pieces of life and how that works, and how specific issues and situations run through specific families at specific times. In my own family, God chose my father's generation to break the cycle of alcoholism. My grandpa Klinkenberg, the reason why it was the way he was is because he was an alcoholic, but not my father, and not me not my children. God saw fit in some way or form to put my father's generation through that in a painful way where my twin aunt and uncle, Carol and Carl Klinkenberg, were so estranged from the family after Uncle Carl's death that they didn't even speak to one another at the deaths of nephews and nieces and those kind of things. And the conversation among that generation is filled both with comforting denial, signs of codependency, and anger. And maybe 
that kind of pain runs through your family a little bit. Because God says that's how it works. This is Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. When the Lord is speaking to Moses about having no other gods before you, he says these words, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You see, it takes a couple generations to, to wring the alcoholism out of the Klinkenberg system. It takes a while to, to, to wring the codependency out of the system. It takes a while for parents and children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren to live through the painful broken pieces, but to do it together and to find hope and healing in the presence of God in the relationships that we have in our families. There's no God outside of the Lord that's perfect. There's no family outside of the family of faith that isn't strung together with a little bit of bailing wire twine and duct tape to sometimes make nice. God only, trouble is only delivered there for the third and fourth generation. But God's love lasts for a thousand generations. See, God's love is the platform and the foundation upon which families are built and sustained. And while that word punishment rings out there and you think, man, that way that works is painful, right. But thank God that pain only lasts for a couple generations while his love lasts for a thousand. Because God is our good father, our heavenly father. The father who would rather send his son than die and live without us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, these words, See what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, for that is what we are. If you look back at when, when the Lord spoke those words to Moses in Exodus 20, human sacrifice was not uncommon. And what you would do is bring your children to the gods and then make your sacrifices. And then hopefully your, your crops would grow, God would be happy, things would work. One of the things that separated the children of Yahweh away from the children of the Canaanites and the gods of the Baals was that their God loved children. Our God loves children, their God sacrificed them. Christianity is the one place, the one religion that is so crazy because we don't give our children to God in a sense, in a sacrificial sense, God gives His Son to us in a sacrificial sense. God does not exist for us to please Him through our sacrifice. Rather, He sent His only begotten Son as a sacrifice for us. How great is the love the Father has lavished on you that you would be the children of God. And that when you go back through the broken pieces of life and the joyful pieces of life, there at the end of the road is God the Father who says, a thousand generations and I'm still loving you and I'm still there for you and my grace hasn't run out and you haven't made me mad and you haven't made me lose that love and feeling for you. I love you. And the sign and seal of that love is Jesus, my son, on a cross for you. And you have family squabbles, take it to the cross. You have guilt and shame and brokenness, take it to the cross because my love has not run dry. I'm just getting started. Christians look at family through the lens of Jesus and the cross. 
And that's what makes our families rich and robust and stressed and strained. Because Christ at the core, soft on the edges, you are the beloved of the Father through the gift of his Son, our brother Jesus. That's my family in the pictorial directory that's available next week. Those are the best things of life right there. Not the easiest things, but the best. Not the easiest to manage and get along with all the time, but the best. My job this week for my son and daughter-in-law was to babysit the puppy for about three hours, and I fell asleep, and that little sucker all hell broke loose in my house. <laughs> my, my daughter comes home, and she says, Dad, what happened? And I go, what do you mean? She said, there's a little something that Blue left for you on the rug in the front room. And I said, no. And they say, what? Stay awake and we love you, Dad. Right? Our family is our greatest blessing. Our families are challenging. Your picture in the directory, my picture in the directory, the family of faith of St. John's Orange in the directory. What do families do together? Well, the Lord had an idea in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9 in these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Impress them on your children. I love that. It doesn't say there's going to be a quiz. Teach them this and if you get... Eight out of 10, you pass. If you miss uh, three out of 10, you fail. It's a different thing of me saying, here's the five keys for being a better dad, Chris. And your boys go, man, dad's really good at three, but these two, he's never going to get. The whole idea that your allowance is all the money you ever want for the rest of your life, your dad's never going to get that. So, but impressing is a different thing. As our hands are pressed together, and you know how much I care for you and love you and your family. It's a different kind of thing than just talking. Impress. Impress God's plan and love on those you love and care about and pray for. When you lie down and when you get up, when it's easy, when it's hard. Sometimes when it's hard, the impression is stronger because you've got to be a tougher mom or dad to get through it. Impress God's plan for life on your kids. And never stop, ever stop, until you get by the finish line. And I don't care whether you have children and grandchildren or not, our calling is the children of God in community. 
is to do this. This was not given to Moses just for his kids. This was given to the community of Israel to bring, to impress, impress on the hearts and souls of the next generation the love and deliverance of Yahweh. Impress on your children. Even if your children are in their 50s, And a word from Ephesians chapter 5, chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. And fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training, in the instruction of the Lord. So what do we do? Well, we learn to get along, right? Parents, don't exasperate your kids. I got all sorts of little aphorisms that I love to use. And no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. I got a hundred of them and I learned them all from y'all. The guys who've taken me under their wing and have mentored me and have, have been like a father figures to me in my life. I've got a hundred little things that I could write down. And when I write my book before I die, I'm going to put a whole bunch of those together and it'll be great. One of those is, do you want to be right or do you want to live at peace? Is it really important, Dad, to press your point until your son is crushed because you want to be right? Because that's what Paul is talking about there. Do not exasperate your children. Sometimes it's okay to back off on the all you know and how smart you are in being right to be gracious and loving. And learning to live and have a conversation for another day and another day and another day because you're filled with love for your children. And children, honor your parents. Speak well of them. Obey them. They are doing the best they can with what they have. And sometimes what they have is you. And they love you deeply and dearly with the sacrificial not just in what they pay for, but the sacrifices of a heart and a life invested in you. Sometimes it's okay to back off and not be right and offer grace rather than judgment and to live in the ebb and flow of honor and obedience with encouragement and love impressing on them and in family the love of Jesus. In a few moments, Pastor Nathan's going to lead us in prayer. He's going to say, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. And you're going to take a big, deep breath and you go, (gasps) you're going to say, Our Father. I love to hear you say that. Our Father. In Dr. Luther's meaning to the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, he he says these words, Our Father who art in heaven, what does this mean? With these words, our God tenderly invites us to believe that He is our true Father and that we are His true children, so that with all boldness and confidence, we may ask Him, as dear children ask, their dear Father. The lens of life through which you look at your family of origin and the family you're in now may be warm and wonderful, it may be broken and painful. 
But the Father we call on in prayer in a few moments is the Father who would send His Son for you and me so that when we take that big deep breath and we breathe out our Father who art in heaven, it's as if we tap Him on the shoulder and say, Papa, Papa, it's time to talk. And He turns with love and joy in His eyes. And he said, fire away, fire away, my dear, dear child. I'm here, I'm listening, and I love you. Amen.